the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome today, Noelle Smith, who's the Senior Director of PA and Industry Research and Analysis at the AAPA, and Tim McCall, PhD, who's the Associate Director of Surveys and Analysis of the AAPA. Welcome, guys. Thank you for having us. Well, guys, I, I really appreciate you being here. And for our listeners, Noel and Tim recently published their research in the JAPA, the November 2020 issue. It's an article titled Reexamining the Persistent Wage Gap Between Male and Female PAs. Please, if you will, first off, tell our listeners about the study. What led you to the study? How you did it? Are these results similar to other gender inequality studies, either with PAs or other industry? Just curious if you could give an overview of the study. I'm going to kick off with a little bit of background. One of the, the first studies came out in 2011 that looked at the gender wage gap. And it was that same year that AAPA adopted a policy on the gender-based uh, equity and income. And that policy said that APA believes in gender-based equity and income for PAs having comparable responsibilities within the same specialty. And that AAPA encourages additional research on gender-based disparities in income. Yeah, and this is really a follow-up to work that we've been doing for several years now, like Noelle mentioned, we first published on this topic in the journal Women's Health Issues back in 2017, and our model was a little bit different. We were focusing on PAs only who reported that they received a base salary, and since then, we've really started collecting more and more data and metrics, and we've been able to refine our model and the way that we look at this. Our data source for this article was the 2020 AAP salary survey, which over 10,000 PAs took. I think it was closer to 13,000 PAs took this survey, and over 8,000 respondents provided us with data for all of the relevant variables and covariates that we were interested in. And often when we're when we have conversations about the wage gap and popular culture, you hear two sides which can be really confusing to understand. It often seems like everyone's talking past each other. We often hear that women earn 78 cents on the dollar for what men earn. That's absolutely true in terms of the raw dollar differences between men and women in the United States. Then you also have another side that says there is no wage gap if you try to equalize or control for these differences between men and women in the workforce. So how we come from it as researchers is both of these sides, there's a little bit of truth in what each of them are saying in terms of, oh, there are differences between men and women, as well as there are differences in how men and women are being paid. But we really want to approach it to make all of these things equal. So if we're considering a PA in Indiana with seven years of experience in general internal medicine who works in a hospital, and we think of a female PA in that position versus a male PA in that position, are there differences in compensation? And that's what we aimed to do when we set out to do this study. And what we found were that that similar uh, that similar headline that you hear when you hear that women earn 78 cents on the dollar to men in the United States, the equivalent of that based on our data was when we didn't control for any of these compensation relevant factors, women were compensated around 85 cents on the dollar that men were in the PA profession. 
But as I mentioned before, we were really interested in seeing, are there differences between men and women in the profession that might explain a portion of this gap? So in this model, we statistically controlled for your highest level of education completed, race, ethnicity, geographic region of work, the type of compensation you get, whether you get a bonus, statewide cost of living, and the other practice demographics you can imagine, like your years of experience, major specialty area, work setting, how many hours you work weekly, the weeks you're working in the year, as well as how many patients you see, whether you take call, whether you're in leadership, whether you own or share ownership in your practice. So over a dozen variables we were interested in putting in this model to control for to see, okay, if we are controlling for all of these potential differences between men and women in the PA profession, does that gap, does it disappear? And what we found were uh, that it does in fact become a smaller gap. It shrinks to around 92 and a half cents on the dollar. But as you can imagine, a seven and a half percent gap in the PA profession is still substantial. It's greater than the median annual bonus in the PA profession. And that gap widens over time, we found. So even after we're controlling for all of these factors, this wage gap is still present and it seems to be getting larger. One piece of news though about that is though that our results are similar to some work that's been done, for example, among internal medicine physicians and PAs are actually better off than some other physician specialties. But from our standpoint, any difference in pay is something that we want to dive down deeper into and understand, is this happening? Is it continuing over time? Mm -hmm. Our listeners might recall I did a podcast on gender inequality and pay among PAs, one of my early ones, actually. The reason why I did that the year prior, just the PAOS has a practice and salary survey that we outsource. And the person that did our research, I asked them to include this question basically fish out the data based on gender. And guess what he found on the last two surveys? Pretty much the exact same thing that you guys found. And when I talked to Don morton Rias of the NCCPA, she echoed that same thing. So it's a problem. And that's one reason I want to put it out there for everybody to hear this. Uh, there is a gender inequality issue across the PA profession. And we need to explore ways to work on that. But anyway, back to your research. Were there any surprise findings that come out of your research? Something that we were initially surprised about is it's pretty well documented the intersection of race and ethnicity with gender and pay inequality. And we did not find that in our study. We believe it could be, believe it or not, because of the sample size. So the PA profession is rather homogenous in terms of almost 90% of PAs being white. Our PAs who are not white comprised a much smaller proportion of our sample, and we believe that our sample size of those non-white PAs may have been small enough that we weren't able to detect those differences based on race and ethnicity in this model. So that surprised us at first. Mm -hmm. But one thing that we've sort of grappled with over the years and is sort of can make your head spin is that female-dominated professions often have a gender pay gap as well. The PA profession is doing relatively well, if you can call it well at all, because a 
wage gap does exist, but they're uh, faring better than some other professions do, but we still have a ways to go. And it's really important for us to bring attention to this and equip PAs with ways that they can be aware of it and they can advocate for themselves while others are advocating for them as well. Right, right. Noel, this is my own personal bias, I guess, but I did not realize this, that the entire PA profession, if you look at everybody, just the statistical profiles, 70% are female, 30% are male. And I did not realize that probably because I work in orthopedics where it's more like 50-50. But that solidly puts males in the minority of the profession. Do you think that has anything to do with the wage disparity? Given the fact that the wage disparity has existed since prior to it becoming more and more female dominated and understanding that the gap, if memory serves me correctly, the gap has actually gotten a little bit smaller compared to those first studies back in the 90s. I would be reticent to say that there's a direct connection there. But I do think because the profession is now closer to 70% female, 30% male, I think those disparities are going to become more pronounced. So that if the disparity starts earlier, if it starts from the first job and as a result, you know, salary begets salary begets salaries, you get promotions or raises, mm -hmm. it does get larger. And so I think the gap will become more and more pronounced if we don't try to alleviate it. In reading your research, I found that the wage inequality was not only in productivity, but also base wage pay. Why is that? That's a really good question. As I mentioned before, we've been studying this for a while, and in our past models, we focused specifically on PAs who got a base salary, and there was not those productivity metrics that were necessarily in there, and there was a wage gap. There's still a wage gap even when we're including PAs who are based on productivity, and that's what we try to figure out. Our statistical model cannot tell us with the math that this is definitively implicit or explicit bias. However, the more variables you control for and you equate, it becomes less and less likely that some form of bias may not be driving some of this. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really something that we're trying to recommend that there are best practices in place so that this type of thing is not occurring either unconsciously or consciously. Mm -hmm. In our survey, everybody seems like they get a production incentive and orthopedics. Not, well, not everybody, but a lot of people do. But every person that responded, they got a production incentive. There was a different production model that they have. I mean, some similarities, but everybody did it a little bit differently. And it's got to be difficult to compare that based on the models. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? So you're absolutely right. There are lots of different models out there. And in our salary survey, the basic question that we ask them in terms of mode of compensation is, are you base salary? are you a base hourly wage or are you paid based on productivity? And if you say you're paid based on productivity, you get two follow-up questions, which was, do you have a minimum guaranteed compensation? And then in addition to that, what was your productivity pay for the year uh, above and beyond that? And we don't ask much more about the mode of productivity that they are on. Part of this being that there are more and more PAs who are being paid based on productivity, only it still seems to comprise a relatively small proportion of the respondents to the salary survey. It's something that we want to understand more, though, because there are lots of different questions that come from PAs not specifically uh, based on compensation. So 
That was a long way to say that no, we're not accounting for different types of productivity, but we're lumping productivity-based PAs together. And the way our production is set up, it behooves you to see more patients in clinic than it does, or, or to work in the OR. Why? Because the OR doesn't pay a whole lot for a first assistant, but an office visit does. And you can see a lot more patients in an hour than you can you know, assist on a total hip. You touched on this in, I, I'm looking at your article now in the table one and then on table two in the regression analysis, that the average hours weekly for female PAs was less than males and patients per week was less. Do you think that has anything to do with it? It certainly is related to the wage gap. Understanding that male PAs on average work more hours in a week. If that's true, you would expect male PAs to be earning more on average in a, in a week or in a year. So it's really important to statistically control for that and equate those. Once we do that, we see that the gap does in fact shrink, which means that these variables we're controlling for are explaining a portion of that wage gap. Only after we control for these and we equate these variables, uh, that gap's still there. So yeah, you're absolutely right. We, we wanted to be very forthcoming in the paper that there are real gender differences that are related to compensation in the profession. But once we control for those factors, there is still a difference in pay between men and women in the profession. Yeah, that 7.5% you mentioned early on, that's, that's a good chunk of cash. We need to figure this out, so you know we need equal pay here. In the article under Future Directions, you discuss some ways to address the gender inequality in wages. Where do we go from here, Noel? What's next? We will keep looking and revisiting the model just to make sure, are we including everything that could explain it? Mm -hmm. We can also look at policy implications. There's a lot of writing in the realm of business research. Because ultimately, this is a business issue. It's not a PA issue. It's not a healthcare issue. This is an economics issue. So some of the examples of recommendations that we've made in this paper and in the past is having hiring entities not ask about an applicant's prior compensation. Because when that happens, an organization may then be able to offer compensation on the lower end of their ideal range. You know, again, they are looking out for their business interests. It may not be uh, an explicit bias against a female, but it is still a bias that is being carried over. Mm -hmm. Another example is for businesses to conduct self-audits. I've actually been part of that. Usually it's through an external firm. And what you're doing is you're just looking for discrepancies for people working in the same position with the same responsibilities. And then you just start adjusting for hours worked, experience, and then See, are there other personal factors related? And many times it's based on gender. It also tends to be based on race and ethnicity. So again, it's just good practice to look at, do that compensation audit periodically from a, from a business perspective. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, another one is for the readers who may have uh, worked, for example, with a VA, there is the general schedule or the GS scale within the federal sector. And that is a very, very clear pay layout. There are very specific ranges and then steps within the ranges. And the only leeway that hiring managers have is maybe bringing someone in at an extra step. But there is a very, very clear linear progression in compensation through that, through that schedule. And as a result, there's a far uh, smaller chance that there's going to be that wage disparity. Mm -hmm. One final one is education. We need to educate PAs. 
That's why we're here. That's why we write. That's why we do presentations. So PAs can do things at the employee level, such as PAs can talk about their compensation. Businesses like to say never talk about pay, but if you talk about pay, that's how you understand if you're not paid uh, equitably. But you can also educate students on how to negotiate, how to expect compensation, knowing their value. I like to tell female students, did you know that females are less likely to negotiate compensation if the job ad does not explicitly say compensation negotiable. Males do. Hmm. I did not know that. I had a friend who was in business and he always said, when I asked him, how did you determine your price or how did you determine you know, what you're going to work for? And he says, ask them until they say no. So you never know unless you ask. And if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So everybody that's listening to this, when you're negotiating your salary, ask for what you think you want. PAOS, the AAPA have great resources for you to look at. Make sure that you use those. They also need to educate leaders as well because they're the ones doing the hiring. So again, just educating students, PAs, and those in leadership about the issues is a really great start. Put it out there. Ask about it. Don't be afraid. I mean, nobody... I mean, we deal with people that are tough to deal with patients all the time. But when it comes to this sort of thing, you know, you get nervous. It's like, okay, well, I guess that's it. Ask for it. You never know. I mean, they say no, they say no. You guys have touched on this some. Obviously, this needs to be addressed by leadership. Does the AAPA have any plans to promote wage parity among gender? We're working really hard to raise awareness by educating PAs as well as educators and leaders whenever we can. We have a wage parity website, so anyone who's familiar with our AAPA salary survey and report, if you go to the salary report page on aapa.org, there's a link to our wage parity resources, which has information such as this article that we've published. There's also blogs that we've written about this data set that we've analyzed in more plain language than an empirical article. There are uh, lists of information on ways to negotiate your contract. So we're really trying to get all of this information uh, out to PAs and in their hands with tools that they can use to try to combat it in addition to the recommendations that we would make to employers that we mentioned in our article. And it's important for us to mention, too, that this is an important focus of our research department, and AAPA is funding our time so that we can engage in this work and try to educate PAs on what's going on in terms of pay inequality. Mm-hmm. Well, Noel and Tim, I, I appreciate you being with us today. Do you have any other thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? I mentioned this a bit earlier, but I think it's always important to mention that our statistical model doesn't make a conclusion about the cause of this wage gap. So we need to understand the source of this difference. Um, and even though our model's not necessarily mathematically proving that there is implicit or explicit bias, it does become more likely that there may be some form of bias at play when you're equalizing these dozens of variables and there is still a pay gap. So I always like to sort of put our model in that context. What I would really love to make sure your listeners know, they need to learn more about the nuances of compensation. Understand your value. That should be part of your job is understanding the value you bring to to your organization. And to learn more about negotiation, as we were just discussing, if you don't ask for more, you're not going to get it. Learn to ask. The worst that will happen is they'll tell you no. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Great advice. Great advice. Very good article. It's in the JAPA November issue. It goes into detail on everything we talked about. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much. Thank you for having us on today. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Extremities in the Carolinas, Trauma for General Orthopedics, the Charlotte Conference, May 21st and 22nd, 2021. Check out the paos.org website for details.